Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Creative Live, the world's best online classroom for creative professionals, with classes on songwriting, engineering, mixing, and mastering. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is also brought to you by Isotope, crafting innovative audio products that inspire and enable people to be creative. And now your hosts, Joey Surges, Joel Wanasek, and Al Levy. All right, guys, uh, welcome to another Mixed Crit Monday, except this time it's Mastering Crit Monday. We're going to... Uh, listen to some masters from various uh, subscribers and you know we'll tear them apart a little bit we have a special guest with us as well uh, who does a lot of mastering and I'll let someone else introduce him just in case I mess up his name <laughs> yeah this is my buddy Maior Applebaum uh, who I've worked with a few times you mastered one of my band's records and then also my solo record and uh have sent you a few records and uh, man, you do a lot of work. You are always mastering a million bands, man. How do you do it? I have a million hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's all it takes. Yeah. No. Well, to be honest with you, first of all, I really love what I'm doing. And I think, I think the secret to doing things in, in, you know, either big quantities or big qualities is really loving what you're doing. So I invest in it all the time and, and effort I can. And of course, you know, it's also money that you have to put into it to keep it running, you know, the gear and, and keep relevant. So I just love doing this. And I like all types of music from all over the world and different styles, territories and sounds. I know that when I first met you, when you first mastered something for me, I think in 2009 or 2010, I went to your place and you didn't have very much gear yet. You had some really good stuff, but man, over the years, your setup has just grown and grown, and now it's like immense. It's pretty awesome how much how much you've grown over the years. It's pretty cool. So, what are some of your favorite pieces of equipment that you're using, uh, like presently? Well, like Yal mentioned, I always add more gear. I'm. I'm not like stuck to one specific thing. I like to flow with what the recording needs and and you know, I'm not just going to put it through a one uh, EQ that costs 14 grand because it costs that amount. I, I'm always going to check what fits best and work with that. And thank you for the kind words Ayal um about the growth and the gear and I just like to invest in it and I just put back into it. Um the pieces of gear that I like best you know, I like a lot of types of EQs and compressors. There's not one thing. I have a mastering console, which I really like, which is a, it's, it's a massive like mastering console. And I like very much, uh, I use a EQs like Weiss. And I use EQ, I have like a modified API. It doesn't sound like an API. It sounds a bit different, but I like that very much. And I like uh, Millennia. And um, uh, it's just different, you know, not just one thing. It's really per project um but i think that the ycqs are great the millennials are also great for tone like if you want to have some coloration that is is sparkling i like that as well do you ever mess with this vinyl mastering or any of the analog mastering like printing it to tape well a lot of the stuff i do actually goes to vinyl because uh, i do a lot of niche markets like prog rock or psychobilly or or experimental music and even acoustic stuff 
a lot of it is getting printed all the time all over the world for vinyl as well. So I try to make the best sounding um, master I can that would fit the various mediums from compressed files like MP3s and WAV files and high resolution files. And some of it even goes to cassettes, which I know is kind of funny, but it actually, there are cassettes being made now. Uh, again, um, so a lot of it goes to other mediums. Uh, one thing that is important to tell is you can read a lot of information online about how to prep the vinyl, but the honest truth is don't do that. Let the professionals cut it. When I set it to vinyl, to I, I leave them to do what they need to do because their, their equipment you know, is set for that, and they know how to work that out. So I don't try to do special stuff that can ruin it. You know, it's very important to know yeah. that you did your best and it fits where the markets and the mediums you work with, let them adjust it to the physical medium. Totally. That's cool. But I've done a lot of analog. Yeah, I mean, most of my setup, by the way, is analog. I've heard that uh, you, this, this may or may not be true, correct me if I'm wrong, but I heard you created some sort of mastering process that's kind of proprietary. Um, is that right? Yes, it is. Uh, I didn't promote it. It was intended for, um, originally was intended for producers and mixers who master their own stuff. And they were limited by what their plugins could do in terms of how the ceiling of it sounded, like, you know, how the high end or low end, when it was pushed to the max. And it kind of sounded a bit too digital, if you want to call that the word. And... This process has actually been used on a lot of projects. It's not being spoken of, really, because I didn't want people to start sending me crappy mastered mixes and hoping that this would be the solution. But <laughs> this came up as a need for those people and also as a need for... Uh, there, were, there was a period where I was starting to get mixes that were really so slammed that they really need that help and it's it's being right. used on even on some major stuff it's just it it's not like named in a way it's just part of a process but it, it really helped a lot of things sound more natural to the ear and less fatiguing that's awesome yeah so like in in other words you're very qualified to be critiquing these people's masters <laughs> uh, if you want to use that as an opening line, then yeah. <laughs> pick up line. That's a great segue, actually. Um, so we have it looks like three songs. Are all all three of these people are subscribers? Is that right? Yes. Okay. Um, so that's pretty cool. Uh, we have different genres of music as well. Um, I don't know. Do you guys want to just go ahead and get started right with the first one? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, we'll start with. The song called Purgatory by the band Garuda's Mission and from subscriber Chris Finster.
Okay, so this is the song Purgatory by the band Garuda's Mission and our wonderful subscriber, Chris Finster. So, Joel, what do you think? All right, so when I listen to this, um, when I listen to the mix, I feel like the top is a little bit harsh in some spots, and I feel like the mid-range is kind of off. Like, there's some boxy sections as well as some parts that are really clean, so it's kind of like a weird... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, what what ends up happening is there's certain frequencies and areas and regions in the mid range that seem like they're not right, but then there's others that feel like they're right on the money. So I feel like the mid range needed to be cleaned up, and the sub and the kick drum is personally killing me. So like when then I go and listen to the master, I feel like the it needed to be compressed a little bit more because like the mix really wasn't gelling enough. And I still feel like in the master, like he should have hit it a little bit harder with compression, my personal opinion. And um, because I feel like the bottom is still a little bit boomy. And another major critique I had was I feel like the top end is still just a little bit harsh. There's just that, that region that we always talk about that I feel like isn't quite right. And I think a little bit of surgical EQ on some of that nastiness or maybe a little bit of, you know, linear multiband, for example, as we've talked about, would be a good solution for something like that. So that's, those were like the main things for me. Yeah. My, uh, my two big critiques for this was uh, basically I felt like it was lacking energy. Um, and that probably, you know, comes from the lack of either gel or compression or whatever. Um, uh, dynamics, you know, and then the second note or critique that I had was the low end was was a little bit too floppy. It's definitely kind of hanging pretty loose around in the you know everything below probably two hundred hertz. Yeah, you, I honestly feel exactly the same way you guys did. But Joey, I'm just going to jump in and say that the word energy, that's like the perfect way to sum up what I felt was lacking here. And I got to say that I feel like the song itself does have energy. Uh, right. So, you know, whenever something like that is deficient, I try to think, is it the song? Is it the mix? Is it the master? Like, what is it? But listening to the song, I definitely feel like the artist has feeling and there is energy in the performance. Uh, I definitely do think that it's somewhere in the mix master stage. And I feel like getting that low end more focused would make a huge difference. Let's hear what Maor has to say about this. Um, in some way, I'm a bit different than you. In some way, I'm close to what you said. Um Regarding, let's start with the high end, which is something Joel was talking, was mentioning. I actually, you know, from listening to the mix and the master, of course, there is something in that high end, which I understand what bothered Joel, but I actually think that there was something really interesting in that high end. If it was tweaked right, it would create some kind of ambience. Um, if I would approach that song, I would actually use that high end to create... Uh, depth and I think that it's just about taming it in the right way to keep that sizzle and it would create a feel like there's like there's something happening on the top which I think is important and gets lost in a lot of um, masters today this is kind of an 80s thing that was existing then and in some masters that I work on I actually keep that um, so just to, it had in the mix too much of it, but if you just adjust it enough, it will keep that sizzle where in the master that was lost. 
Out of, out of curiosity, if so say you want to keep the high end intact, but just tame it a bit so you can keep that sizzle, what would be your first, uh, what would be the first thing you would do uh, in order to tame it? I would check which converter would uh, not make it trill, but like still keep part of it. I, that's why I use different types of gear because I try to, I want to find which one attacks the issue in the least destructible way. So I wouldn't go by looking for what frequency it is I w because it's a combination of frequencies. We're talking here a lot of the high mids and the highs together. That's why it's annoying you. That's why you feel to you it's annoying because it's a combination of a lot of them and that's why it bothers. But I think it's just taming or rounding off the edges of it um, to a point where it's not lost. Um, if you want to think frequency-wise, it will be all the range from from 5K and above. But I wouldn't go EQ-wise and tame it. I would just see which converter sounds best with it and doesn't take it down too much. That's a cool approach. Um, That's a really cool approach, yeah. How many different converters do you have to work with? Hey, let me count them. One, two, three, four. I have around five converters. It's also configurations, so I can use a D2A that is a, like a like a tape sounding D2A, and then a normal sounding converter or whatever whatever fits. But it's around five. But usually you can pick that up like very fast and see. Okay, I don't need the whole five to test. I can go two or three, just because knowing the converter um, in this case. Uh, but it's not every, like, some converters will emphasize it, some will be almost there. And only a few will be the right ones to tackle this issue. So that's why, you know, you can have a lot, but you've got to really know which one to work with on that. Because to me, that sizzle yeah. was part of what I like in it. Um, it, get, it gives depth. Um, the other thing I thought... Um, by the way, you, you guys might not agree with me. You know, I, I understand that. You know, it's just how I notice it. Um, I thought that the intensity of the mix was tamed too much in the master. Because if when I listen to how the drums are presented, the glue, maybe you can say it's not enough or it's too much, but it was not sitting in the right place. Instead of giving me excitement... It just held it too much. So the energy was contained. It didn't come out. So I, I thought it was too much tamed in the master. And maybe because of that sizzle being lost, I also lost the depth. So how would you go about yeah, keeping it not tamed, I guess? Absolutely. Well, first of all, I would tighten up the low end in a way that I, I, I feel the attack of the kick, but I don't get the the um the delay in the in the low end a lot of times what happens with kicks especially triggers because they're very sliced the low end uh when it's compressed you kind of feel like there's a delay in that low end it doesn't sit with the thump that, that happens especially with samples because they're so quantified uh, when the compressor is not set well it just takes that that original um uh, timing and stretches it kind of like gives it an over like over sustain 
And a lot of times that's what's perceived as not tight. So I, I would, first of all, tighten the low end. I would try to see, sometimes it's worth filtering some of that low end. Even if you lose some of it, when the compression comes up, it adds it again. So instead of getting just a tick, because you cut, not too much, but you, the compression raises up the, the sustain, and then you get them balanced well. That's why uh, normal kicks, not, not sampled kicks, when you compress them up, they feel more natural because originally they didn't have too much size, but the sample kicks have a, big, have a lot of size to them because they're all compressed already, if it makes sense what I said. So that's kind of what I felt. Basically, I didn't have a problem with the mix because I, I felt that he was going for something. And um, to me, it's not a bad mix. You know, maybe it's just the, maybe just, you know, how you guys judge it is, you know, because you guys are more mixing engineers. So you're judge it as a mix. I judge it just more as a big picture to me, how it appeals to the audience. I thought the master just lost some of the essence of it and lost the energy. It was loud but it wasn't the loudness that gives the energy. It was too tamed, that, that lost the That makes sense. Yeah, there's, there's many different ways to get loudness, and if you're not doing it right, it just doesn't come across, doesn't convey the energy, like you said. Uh, I think we all felt that when we listened to it as well, so it's, you know, that's definitely probably the main problem, and also the low end just being pretty much uh, w too wild, I feel. And also another thing, and th I think this happens a lot, it becomes synthetic. There's a point where you start feeling that the song is synthetic because of the way it's being leveled up. Yeah. So instead of you feeling there's depth to it, it, j it becomes flat. Yeah, so then it, there's no yeah, there's no excitement, like you said earlier. I, I find that that's yeah, absolutely. the number one uh, killer of amateur mastering efforts uh, is... Well, either that or the flubby low end, but really not knowing how to get things loud and and, and flattening them completely, like you were saying, I feel like that's the number one thing I hear when listening to amateur masters um, is just they're loud, but man, they, they're just like a flat line. So yeah, I, I feel you. I, I agree with that completely. I, I, if I may add to what you said, there's also a point where the loudness just hits the ears. Um, it's. I think it's very hard to find the balance where you can actually listen to the song over and over. And if you find the sweet spot where you can make it louder and listenable for a long duration of time, then you got the pop. Then you got it nailed. And that's the, the. That's. I think that's the. The. You know. That's probably the hardest thing to do is to master it loud enough to be acceptable by the artist, but at the same time be exciting and not fatigue yeah i i find that a lot of uh actually a lot of metal records are very fatiguing and tough to listen to over more than 10 minutes long except the doth album i mastered right because <laughs> it's not loud that one's the worst <laughs> we, man we got so much shit for that just to give you guys a little background, this Doth record was done when I was in an all-natural recording, no slamming anything phase. And so I wanted the master to retain all dynamics and to not clip at all and be as old school as possible. And 
I mean, it sounds great, but we got so much shit for it because it was quiet. Um, I, I learned my lesson hard with that one. Uh, so, yeah. By the way, I got a lot of good stuff from that, just so you know. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I got emails from A&Rs and a lot of people saying how they love that good. album. Uh, I'm glad to hear that because uh, I, I, I got nothing but shit for it. Uh, you can't please them all, right? <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> what an amazing story. True. I, I'm, I'm glad you got good stuff for it, though. Um, so are we good with this song? Should we move on to the next one? Yeah, let's go to the next song. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation here, but this is by our subscriber, Jai Benoit. I think that's how you pronounce your name. I'm sorry, dude, if I got it wrong, just kill me. Um, the song is called Small, Medium, at Large, uh, and, uh, here it is. Um, that song I really actually like uh, the production on. I think the production and the mix is, is pretty good. The, there might be a few mixing issues, and this is one of the things I wanted to see if Maora agreed with or not, because I couldn't tell if it was mastering or mixing quite. Um, you know, because you know, you can take a mix and you can put it through mastering, and certain things will jump out that you didn't expect. You know, sometimes the the snare will disappear or the bass becomes too loud or the vocals get swallowed. So um, one of the things I felt about this song is that the bass is just taking over everything, especially in the master. Um, I, does anyone else agree oh, yeah, with me? Totally. Yeah. So what do you think? Is that a mixing thing or a mastering thing? Well, I think um, what you're addressing about the bass is, is true. Um, it's notable. First of all, it's noticeable in the mix. The, the balance of the bass is a bit, higher, which is not a big problem in most cases. The only problem here is that in the mix you can have it, but when you master it, you got to go the opposite way, otherwise it will boom it up. And that's what happened in the mastering. The bass became even, even more bigger than expected, probably, and it's actually controlling the compressor and the limiter so you can hear um, clamping. So you you can hear it ducking it in certain areas. Plus, it's because it's going up, it's 
kind of covering on the music. That usually happens when you have like a certain rooms that cancel certain low frequencies. And then, you know, when you want to crank up the volume and still get the low end, you find yourself either boosting or compressing more and that low end just comes up. So uh, it lost a lot of the tightness that it had in the mix. Not that the mix was tight as much as it just even lost even more tightness. The other thing I felt about it was overall, it just kind of felt too dark. Yes. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, EQ wise. Even for this style of music, which I understand could be, you know, enjoyed a little bit darker frequency spectrum type thing. Um, even for that, you taking that into consideration, it did feel feel like it was too dark for me. Do you guys yeah, absolutely. I mean you guys share that that with me as well? Yeah, it felt like I mean there's a lot of beauty up in the air frequencies. And it's not like it needs a ton of it, but I felt like, to me, there felt like there was a blanket over the mix, like the mid-range wasn't right. And then when I heard it in mastering, I feel like that issue still kind of existed. And again, it might be because of a lack of treble. It might just be that, you know, there's some weird mid-range ringing or something like that. I'd have to listen to it again. But I just felt like there was a little bit of a blanket and it just needed that nice little bit of lift to bring it to life, which again, would have also counteracted some of the bass issues hypothetically. So that was a big thing for me. Yeah. And it, it, it also like, I think, you know, going along with that is it felt mono. Um, and I'm curious, you know, what would you do with this? If like, say this song was in your inbox right now, and this is something you had to work on today. Um, how would you make this feel a little bit more like it had more life and it was a little bit more, uh, wide, I guess. Um, or the way I would approach it is it's the low mids that make the the problem here for me because the bass we know already of the bass issue and that's something I would tweak but the low mids are what makes it muddy I didn't have a problem with the high end as it is it's just that it's the low mids that were covering a lot and yeah that's where I would approach it um, I think also the compressor is triggered a lot by the low end and maybe maybe if you start with the low end and then go to the low mids then it would immediately open and part of that width that that joe joe you're talking about has to do with the high base area which is around 180 hertz that's gotcha that's clogging that you know what you you felt that the width is missing that's what's clogging it so if that if that frequency range or that instrument was somehow either lowered in volume or had a different balance or maybe just EQ'd a little bit differently we would start to reveal more of the the high end energy and you know the high end frequencies of the mix is what you're saying. Yeah, like I would approach yeah. it like this is a case where I would call the mixing engineer <laughs> and hope he's a nice guy to talk to. <laughs> Don't call us. No. <laughs> no, of course I wouldn't even bother. Um, but uh that's where I would call the mixing engineer and say, "Hey, could you maybe fix that bass guitar? Maybe cut some lows on it and some high bass." Because it's really that bass guitar, which is, you know, taking all that space, which all of you has no noticed as well. That's what's kind of clogging the mix. I can fix it in a mastering situation, but it's not really a fixing. It's more of like a remedy, but not really 
doing what's you know what would be best. If it was tweaked on the bass guitar itself, a whole new mix you know come to life. Right. Totally. So just out of curiosity, how often do you find yourself having to call mix engineers to get them to tweak the mix so that you can do your job properly? It depends on them. You know, like I've worked with some big, big names that were very open to changes and I've worked with people who were not. You know, it's, you know, I, it really depends on the person. I've, I've, I don't want to say a huge amount because there's also mixers that, supply the mix great as is but there there's quite there's been more than quite a few there's there's a there's a lot of people who are open to critique mix critiques and a lot of times it's a few just a few small things and it changes the whole picture then the mix opens up of you know could be cymbals it could be bass could be usually it's kind of the extremist instruments that make the problems you know. Would you say that it's it's you know one out of every ten or maybe nine out of ten? No, no, no. It won't be nine out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not that. But you know, I would say maybe maybe half or or less than half would be situational like that. And sometimes it's even a small thing like, hey, could you print it two dB lower so the compression is not that glued, or can you? Uh, just DS symbols or the vocal or maybe adjust the bass guitar. It's usually those kind of things. It's not really going yeah. in, making big changes. Have you ever had to do that? You know, suggest a complete remix or really big changes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were situations, and uh, and I'm happy that the 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 people who I was working with they were. You know, uh, they didn't have an ego, if to say the least. You know, they were open to it. And in the end of the day, they called me later on and said, wow, man, it's like not only not only the mix sounds better now, but the mastering even took it to to a place they never thought. I mean, that that happened. But it's really about communicating. And if, if this, the other side is willing to do so and they're trusting that you want for their best... Well, it's kind of hard to get a great sounding master without a mix that is able to be mastered greatly. So, yeah, I I think it makes sense that you have to call people sometimes. Yeah, sometimes the change is 5%, sometimes the change is 40%, you know, in the mastering. But that that 5% is 100% for the listener because he doesn't know what was before. Do you, and every once in a while, I'm assuming you just get stuff that sounds perfect the way it is, and you just, you know, you just have to do your job, and that's it. If it comes in perfect, well, or almost perfect, then I'll do just minor adjustments so it will be sounding consistent on all playback systems, and you know, maybe just a bit color if they want like coloration, like a vibe on it. But if it, you know, if it's needed. And but but sometimes that's just the small icing on the cake, and that's it. Sometimes. Okay, so in a situation like this, uh, you would contact the mixer and ask them to make some changes. I would give them the option: either I make the changes, and then it's gonna kind of affect uh, other instruments, or say 
if you're willing to adjust the bass and clean up the low end in the bass, also compressing the bass a bit more after cleanup, I, I think that that would make a big change. And also, by the way, I did notice that in the master, the snare was more balanced than in the mix. There was more glue. So I assume that if that bass guitar is tweaked right, then the mastering would get it really good. Yeah. What, so let me let me just ask you a question now that we're on the topic of you know having to talk to mixers and get them to make changes. I guess what what would be perfect for you for a submission? Like if I was doing a mix and sending it to you to master, or if anybody was doing a mix sending to you to master, what kind of options would you like just delivered to you like do you like it when you get like drums up and drums down vocals up vocals down like do you like to get all those different versions like i guess i'm wondering what it, what kind of file delivery and what kind of options would make you the happiest as a mastering engineer well i think you know to save time for the mixer he doesn't need to do ups and downs versions i would only say you know, maybe do a vocal up, vocal down, just in case. What I would do is master it, and then we see if something is missing, then we go and approach that. Let's say the snare goes down a bit, then we do a snare up. But to send up, down, up, down of everything, it, w it probably would be a waste of time for the mixer. And just to go over all of them and figure out what's best would also be kind of uh, too much and then you probably would lose objectivity. I would just say work within what's there and then address the issues. You know, um, in most cases, there's like three things that, you know, might be lost that people like to fix would be either vocal up or vocal down, snare up or down, or kick up and down. Um, it, the more complex ones are bass up, bass down. But I would start first, maybe just give me a normal version and maybe a vocal up if the vocals are a bit kind of like on the fence. That makes sense. Yeah. I usually don't request um, those, you know, that many versions, but if I get multiple versions, I'll listen to all of them and, and, you know, I'll, I'll start, I'll pick the one that I like the most and I'll start working with that. And then I'll throw in the other ones just to compare um, without changing my chain or anything, just to see, you know, how it changes. Mm hmm. Um, and oftentimes, you know, the first one that I picked is the one that I like, but that's also how the, all the mastering settings were, were decided on that track. So it makes most sense that it is the one that ends up winning, but you know, you always check and you always compare. I, I get sometimes like two versions of the same mix, like with a different processing. So like, you know, like sometimes somebody buys like a, a, a bus compressor or an EQ or summing box or something like that and you know they're not they, they mix through it but they're not sure if that's what will sound best so they'll print two versions and then i'll listen to them and i'll see which one has more options to work with like sometimes the coloration is nice but it takes off something and sometimes the clearer one is better to work with so i'll listen to both and see um you know it's not a lot of people today buy, you know, two bus compressors or, or they, you know, and they want to run it through it and, and, and see what, you know, 
how it sounds. Um, and I'll just choose between the two what's what I think is better to use. Because I also can compress it, you know, without board gear. That's yeah. what I do as well. So right. you can cheat, choose what's better. Makes sense. Cool. So our last song we have is a rap song, which is actually pretty cool. Um, the artist is House of Goon, and the song is Howitzer. Yeah, and it's by our subscriber, Mr. Joshua Hass. The first thing that I get from this master is the treble is really oddly adjusted. It's like not smooth. There's too much, um, and it's kind of pointy. I don't know. Do you guys? What do you guys Two think? Two to 4K. Oh my god, killing my ears. Yeah. yeah. For sure. It's a little bit on the painful side. And uh, I'm not hearing that awesome, shaped, perfectly controlled sub that I like to hear when I listen to this style of music. Like, I'm not hearing my car stereo just, like, thumping and exploding, like, in a good way. So I feel like there's something wrong with the low end as well. I will say, though, to add to that, that when I listened to the original mix, I felt like the mix is a little bit flat sounding. And the master, I feel, definitely made it better, like in terms of like the bottom end and the top end. But, you know, there's just that little bit of that low end issue that I feel like didn't translate quite right. And that top end, especially in the vocal, to me, the vocal is really, really pointy and really harsh. And probably it, it may even need some mixed tweaks on it, but um, there's just something that really like makes me like scringe, scrunch my ears together for lack of a better word. Just make one up. Um, it just it's really painful. Like it, I'm very sensitive to that range, and it just felt like when I would listen to it, I'd really lose my you know. It, it would just it would just hurt. What are your thoughts, Mel? Um, the first thing I noticed was the low end. I kind of felt like. Um, Instead of feeling that warmth sub, you know, it felt like something was modulating it, like going, and I think that has to do with how the limiter was responding to responding to it. So I would put a, a low pass filter on it. Um, this is something I would do either if we can do in the mix or in the mastering. 
because um, in, in this case you can also do this in the mastering and improve it because a lot of things are way up and not taking that space um, so first of all around 40 Hertz will be a good place to start um, cleaning up there on the subs and I, I thought it kind of modulated a, a lot of areas so instead of get instead of like you have a bass development that's nice and round just like I think Eyal mentioned in the car right so yeah I, I, I understand what you mean instead of kind of making this like yeah. pillow in the car of low end it kind of rumbles a bit too much maybe maybe it's a bit even if it's kind of like like has like a roar yes. to it maybe it's a bit aggressive instead of soft <laughs> and here it didn't do that but I know what you mean that that it has like a resonance instead of being soft it kind of like distorts a bit so I think once yeah. you tweak that low end there immediately the song would be softer on the ear and maybe even less harsh because the low end would kind of like uh, wrap the high end as well and I think um, that's the first thing that you know came to mind for me uh, I understand what you guys say about the high end, but I also know that sty stylistically, every time I hear these kind of songs, they like to have that high end. Um, it's like it's like the edges, you know, a low end and high end, uh, especially for clubs, and that um, you know, it's that's it's very common that the high end will be kind of like that as well. Um, so I just think, you know, fixing that low end will make it sound easier on the ear, you know, and, and nicer. Uh, but they can, but it, you can tame the high end a bit if you want. Yeah. Around the, those ranges that Joel, th I think, mentioned can, you know, can soften the deviant too. How often do you find yourself, um, you know, mastering rap and, and hip hop and stuff like that? I, I do that a lot. Um, I, I get... I get stuff from hip-hop to metal to rock to singer-songwriter, acoustic, industrial, uh, EDM, uh, jazz, blues. I've done from, from Walter Trott and Eric Gales to Sepultura to Faith No More to Yes to William Shatner to Dawkin <laughs> to Halford. <laughs> to, uh, Dawkin? Yeah. To, to, I mean, my, my gamut is really, I do a lot of R&B and pop and, and death metal. <laughs> I mean, you did that Star Set record, right? Yes, I did Star Set. Yeah, I, I like that single. It's a really, really good song. I mean, it was a monster success, but uh, I dig, I dig the mix, and I think it sounds, uh, it sounds really good. Let's talk about William Shatner for a second, because I didn't know. Uh, it was a prog rock album. Was it a spoken with, word, or was yes, it him it, doing songs? There's a Steve I plays on it, and Aldi Miola. What? And Dave Cause on saxophone, <laughs> and actually George Duke, rest in peace, also was on that record. There was a bunch of Robbie Krager from The Doors played on it. Basically, it's a prog rock album with a full band and guests. Holy shit. <laughs> and there's song singing by Billy Sherwood. And William Shatner is telling a story on it. So basically the songs have music and melody, and William Shatner <laughs> is giving his uh, 
story on each song. So it's like he's he's talking or doing a spoken word, and then Billy Sherwood is singing choruses on it, and or, or pre-choruses <laughs> or different melodies. That sound that sounds like an amazing record to work on. It, it was very interesting because you you have to keep in mind that the spoken word has to be in the front and you still have music surrounding it and singing. So, it was very interesting and of course the players there, I mean, these are top top guys, you know. Steve I, you know. <laughs> Aldi Miola. It's... Did you get to interact with William Shatner at all? I got to meet him after I did the album. Sweet. And he liked it. That's it was, that's great. Yeah, that's that's really awesome. <laughs> Sorry, I just fanboyed out for a second, but I think <laughs> I think William Shatner's awesome. Well, look, it's not every day that like you get to talk to somebody about working on a William Shatner record. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, so and it was back to this song. So about the flatness in the mix. So you know, same question I asked you on the last song. In this case, would you call up the mixing engineer and ask him to fix some stuff? Or is this something where you feel like you could just master it and it would be fine? I think that, first of all, I would try this before calling him. Because um, when I listened to the mix, it was a certain area that had that, which was just the low end. It's not like the song before where the low end was mod- like working the low mids and the high mids. This is really, a lot of it is really, really low. So I've, I, I think, first of all, I would try doing it myself. You know, find the area that, I, that works best and softening it. And if I would feel that I got to a point where it's nice but could be better, then I might call the mixer and say, you know, could you put a low pass around 40 on, that, on the subs and maybe... Maybe uh, maybe lower a bit the volume of it, a few dBs. So it's not above the music. It's in the range of the music just a bit more. That way it also would be softer. I think what bothers uh, Eyal is that it's not only loud, but it's controlling the music. <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely. It swallows it. Yeah, and with the compression in the mastering, it's actually modulating it. So it's not only swallows, but it's actually controlling it. Certain sections come up and certain come down. So it, you can hear that yep. it's not as stable because of that. Am I the only one here who thought the vocals... I mean, I realize vocals need to be loud in this, but am I the only one who thought that they were just a little painfully too loud? Or is that an EQ thing? They were a little bit too loud, but I think the EQ thing definitely made it like EQ is probably the reason why you feel that way because of how pointy it is. Yep. <laughs> it's almost like someone went in with a like a 31 band um you know no Q control EQ and just like took like 4K and 8K and just like pushed those two sliders all the way to the top and it just sounds like it's almost like the EQ itself too was like a cheap EQ. Um but you know there's so many moving parts in, in in this that you don't know if it was the mic and then, you know, the crappiness of the mic being accentuated by the mastering or was it the mix, maybe the... But I, I feel like it was the mastering because that's where you really notice the, you know, the, the stuff becoming overly pointy and kind of 
overly it's like if you put yeah. too much sugar on a on a cookie or like too much salt on a dish <laughs> that's kind of how it felt to me yeah, I, I thought it was intentional i thought they wanted kind of like not a telephone effect but uh you know when i heard it i felt that okay maybe that's what they wanted like the vocals to be very uh, confined in a, in a small area like you know in that range where those frequencies and maybe some 1k um they could have sounded fuller if if the EQ was different. That's true. Um, sometimes in those cases where I get a project like that, it's good to communicate and just figure out if that was intentional or not because the mastering will emphasize that, and it did. That's why you guys are talking about it because it came up even more in the mastering. So those, I think in those cases... You know, you do it and you send it. And if they feel something is wrong, you you talk with them and say, was that intentional that the vocals would be limited in a certain frequency range, like a certain bandwidth, or you want them to be fuller? And if you do want to be have them fuller, then you need to EQ them differently and maybe just, uh, you know, do what Joe likes to do the most and it's <laughs> scoopy. You read my Facebook, huh? <laughs> no, no. I think you told me that once. Ah, <laughs> uh, there's a long-standing joke I think. Um, that I'm just like, fuck mids. I hate mids. I don't really hate them. I like it when the mid-range is correct, <laughs> but it's just funny, and I say it so much with all of my clients that it's just become the joke that's thrown out of control, and I just believe in embracing things like that, so fuck them. <laughs> Cut them out. <laughs> yeah, the smiley face. Fuck it's the mids. smiley face EQ. You know how I call people who who do scoop the happy face. <laughs> Thanks for the compliment. I feel great today. <laughs> yeah. You know when we use the the you know thirty one bands or you know when when we would set PA systems and we want to have everything yeah. sounded really nice, <laughs> we would make the happy face. Yeah. You know, no mids. Classic death metal EQ <laughs> on guitars. Yeah. It works on everything. <laughs> it does, actually. <laughs> We've been joking around about making a plugin that does something like that, but um, we're doing it. <laughs> I want to thank you for uh, joining us and, and helping us critique these masters. And you know, for anyone who might be listening to this episode as the first critique episode, just want you to know that you know if you are sticking around with us from month to month, we are critiquing mixes and masters. Um, you know, generally we do the mixing. And we could end up critiquing your mix. Um, so if you're subscribed, you know, stick around for the next month and we'll do another round. And, you know, potentially we can get you on the show, have you, you know, show us your best work and we'll help you out and try to improve your ability to, you know, mix or master better. So um, once again, any final words from anyone? I just want to thank Maor for coming on. And thank all our subscribers for submitting songs for us to have some fun with. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Maur. It's been awesome and interesting. It's always fun to see how different people approach kind of the same problem. And that's one of the real rewards. Because we do this show every week and we get together and talk about this stuff. And I'm always impressed by how much just for me personally, I get out of it, even though I'm a host, which is kind of weird and funny, but they're, they're, it's just really cool to see how people attack different problems 
and I thought you had great perspective. So thank you for bringing that here today. Hey, and if uh, people want to reach you online, um, do you have like a website or or anything where people can check out more about you and about what you do? Yeah, it's uh, www.maorappelbaum.com or applebaum.com. Or they can email me, uh, M-A-P-P-E-L-B-A-U-M at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, there's there's quite a few things online. Sometimes there's videos or, or websites or other pieces of information. Uh, I want to say thank you for you guys for having me here. It was a good uh, starting for my day to talk tech <laughs> with uh, cool people yeah, with yeah. a good sense of humor. Great, man. Thank you. Welcome. All right. So have a great day and have fun mastering some some stuff. Thank you. And wishing everybody a good week and put your passion into what you're doing and it will be better and better each time. There it is. Right on. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Creative Live, the world's best online classroom for creative professionals with classes on songwriting, engineering, mixing, and mastering. Go to creativelive.com slash audio to start learning now. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is also brought to you by Isotope, crafting innovative audio products that inspire and enable people to be creative. Go to isotope.com to see what might inspire you. To ask us questions, suggest topics, and interact, visit URMacademy.com and subscribe today.